So over the last couple of weeks, there have been two new services of interest for us um, to talk about on this show. And there's an interesting link between both of them as they are gaming-focused services that are being started by more traditional technology companies. So there's Google Stadia. Uh, Federico, are we going with Stadia? You can probably help yeah, with this one. I yeah. think that's about right. Okay. We, we would say Stadia in Italian, but I think you guys say Stadium and therefore... Yeah, that that's what I've been trying to do. I wouldn't call them Stadiums. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, so I... <laughs> I'll go with Stadia, uh, which is Stadia is a gaming streaming service. And then Apple Arcade, which is a gaming subscription service. Now, it's pretty. There's, I know that I keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this and get those two things, those two terms intertwined a lot, um, because, especially because Apple's doing a bunch of other streaming services. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the minutiae of each of these, and, and mm. I think it will make sense as to what yeah. the difference is between those two very similar-sounding words. Yeah, and so far there's only one service that is both streaming and su subscription-based, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're going to look at both of these services and then a little bit more about the effects that these companies may have on the industry and just what this trend towards streaming and subscriptions might do for the gaming industry uh, inside and out. But I want to kind of give a breakdown of each of them. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll start with Google Stadia. Um, it was announced in a presentation at GDC. Um, this was something that was expected. Google said they would have a presence here. Um, and it's based on a project that Google were working on a while ago, which was just called Google Stream, where they were just allowing any people to sign up for a beta program and you could stream a version of Assassin's Creed um, for, via Chrome. Google says that Stadia is a game platform for everyone. Effectively, what they're allowing is for you to be able to play on basically any screen, irrespective of the base hardware that you have, because all of the power exists in the cloud. So if it has a Bluetooth connection or a Wi-Fi connection and or you, know, you can get onto the internet or you have a Chromecast or whatever, then you can use Google Stadia to play games. Uh, all of the games run in Google's data centers and a video feed is sent to you. Then the buttons that you press on a controller are sent back and that's how you kind of can play the games. Um, and Google is like targeting console level games, games that you would play on PC, games that you would play on Xbox or PlayStation. You could just play with an internet connection and I would, we will assume a Google Stadia app is probably what it's going to be um, on many platforms. Um, they had uh, id Software on stage. They were the only game company that they had come out on stage. And id said that Doom Infinite will be coming to Stadia. Um, I'm going to keep doing that too and keep calling it Stadia or Stadia. Uh, and uh, Doom, and Infinite, uh, id, sorry, said that Doom... I think it's Doom Eternal. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Can we? Well, hi Eternal Infinite. That's yeah. Closing. I don't. I've written it down in multiple different ways in this document. But we'll go with Eternal. Eternal and Infinite are about the same thing. Yeah. Uh, they said that it will be coming to Stadia and we'll be able to run uh, in 4K HDR at 60 frames per second using mm. this technology. Now, of course, there are a million caveats there, but it is technically possible 
they are saying, for it to be able to run at this frame rate. Um, YouTube will be heavily tied into this. If you're watching, for example, a video of a game stream, maybe you're just watching a video of a game and you like think, oh, that section of the game looks good, you can press a button and launch yourself directly into that game at that point. And this can also be used in multiplayer scenarios. So if you're watching your favorite streamer, and they are opening up a multiplayer match, you would, in theory, if you're watching it on YouTube, be able to press a button and join that game. So these are there's going to be some real heavy YouTube tie-ins of this, which make a lot of sense. Uh, Google Assistant will also be included to give you tutorials um, and to give you help if you need it. They're actually, So Google's made a controller that has a Google Assistant button on it. Um, this controller is a Wi-Fi controller. And the reason that is important is because you with, with this specific controller, you actually never have to sync it to the device that you're playing the game on because the controller is also connected to the internet and it provides its feedback that way, which lowers latency because it's not going to a device and then over the cloud. It's just going straight via the Wi-Fi controller. But Google said that you'll be able to use other controllers as well with their applications. Um, there are absolutely no details right now on when this will be available or what it will cost. We don't know if it's going to be paying per game title you want to play mm -hmm. or if it's going to be like a one-off fee. You know, a lot of people are throwing around the term Netflix for games when it comes to Google Stadia because everything has to have a Netflix for something right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there were no other games other than Doom, Etern Doom Eternal even mentioned uh, even though Google was hinting it a lot before the presentation with a bunch of iconography. So I, I would like to raise um, four main points of discussion here. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one that comes to mind, of course, is the actual technical promise of Stadia. Um, there's a, an excellent uh, hands-on and detailed breakdown of Stadia by Eurogamer and specifically specifically the uh, Digital Foundry team. Mm -hmm. um, they went hands-on first with Project Stream, which was the Assassin's Creed uh, demo that Google did for the Google Chrome browser. And then they also tested uh, under Google's perfect testing conditions, they played with Stadia. Um, so the idea of um, Google is promising up to 4K um, 4K video quality with HDR. Um, according to the digital, digital Foundry tests, they were only able to uh, play at 1080p at 30 frames per second. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, you know, this was on a fiber connection, so 200 megabits per second. Um, they were only able to play at 1080p and 30 frames. Still, Google is promising uh, 4K and HDR and eventually even 8K in the future of Stadia. Um, they also were able to test this developer mode that Google is allowing developers to enable if they want to test performance under more constrained conditions. And under this demo mode, um, on a 15 megabit per second connection, um, 1080p becomes uh, 720p. So um, there's a quite a degradation in terms of video quality. But in spite of, you know, they, they were not able to play with the actual, you know, 4K HDR minimal latency type of stream that Google was promising with Stadia, they were still kind of optimistic about it overall because of uh, the details that Google, that Google shared about the encoder and the type of technical details that they shared about the servers and the PCs that are going to power these in the data centers. Uh, the folks at Digital Foundry, they seem to be quite optimistic about the promise of Stadia. Now, I want to ask you both, um, 
And Shahid, maybe you could offer some details here uh, based on you know what you may know about PlayStation Now, which is a similar service by Sony. Um, is it a bit unrealistic? And now, let me say that I'm I'm excited about these kinds of services. I don't want my questions and my concerns to um, to suggest that I'm a you know I'm an old guy who doesn't want to see any type of change to the video game industry. I am super excited about the idea of the Netflix for games, if we want to call it that. Um, but is it technically possible for people outside of Silicon Valley right now to get this kind of you know 4K HDR video streaming experience? And I ask because even just looking at the average internet speeds around the world, you know, you can you can Google this, you can see pretty charts and tables with numbers. They are well far from the, you know, 200, 300 and gigabit connections that you get in certain series in, in cities in Europe or just generally in Silicon Valley. So I ask myself, is this a bit aspirational to sell or are we just going to end up with, you know, 30 frames and 1080p and most people at 720 and 30 frames? Well, there are two issues here. The first is the quality of the visuals as they are rendered on mm -hmm. Google's cloud hardware. The second is the entire infrastructure required to not just deliver that graphical stream to a user device, but to turn around the input going upstream to their servers and in a multiplayer scenario, obviously ensure that everybody's getting similar experience They've tackled this problem in a number of ways. The first is by throwing extraordinary power onto the cloud architecture, which, of course, they're quite capable of doing, which means that when the game is running on their servers, it will be running very, very fast, very high quality. That's not an issue. Here comes the next issue. The next issue is how do you squirt 4K or even 8K of video, HDR, what have you, 60 frames per second, because it might well be running at that kind of rate on a souped-up mm -hmm. server. How do you get that to somebody in a small village in southeast Europe, for example? Just as an example, you know, if I'm in Portugal and I've got a two megabits per, per, per second connection, first of all, I'm not going to be able to get the visuals, even though they might be rendered at that resolution on the server. I'm going to get significantly less than that. For starters, two megabits per second is not going to get me on at all. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to, your yeah. starting price is much higher than that. Okay, so that's the first issue. Let's say you do have fast enough connection. The next thing is going to be, well, what about the ping? And there, again, Google, I think, are in a better position than most because they have cloud centers all over the world. So ping won't be a huge issue. But nonetheless, your ISP is still going to restrict the speed at which, and also the timing at which your packets go up from that controller to their cloud servers. That's the biggest variable, and that's going to be the biggest factor in determining the quality of the experience. Not the quality of the visuals, the quality of the experience. From all of the tests that we've seen so far, it seems that in a high-latency game, like Assassin's Creed, because let's face it, that game is already 140 milliseconds or so. Yeah. 
motion to photon. 140 milliseconds. That's seven frames locally. Yeah, that, that is a big yeah. delay. So it's not exactly a game that requires precise controller inputs. Right. Now, here's another scenario. Let's say you're playing a multiplayer game like Doom Online. You know how when you're playing offline, everything feels smooth, you move a certain way, and everything responds crisply and smoothly and precisely. And then when you go online, you feel, oh, hold on a minute, I feel a little bit detached. Something's changed. Something's not quite right. I'm not moving quite the same way. The best players in the world adjust to this and adapt to this and take that into account. However, it is a different experience. Now, imagine taking that incoherent feeling, that slight discombobulation of jumping from single player to multiplayer in terms of the controller response and magnifying that. Not massively. We're not talking about something that isn't going to work here. We're just talking about something that is going to require pristine infrastructure to deliver the best quality experience. Imagine that on every game, even games that aren't multiplayer, right? So if you enjoy, I mean, they say these are games for everyone. If you enjoy primarily single player games and there's a lot of money going around, that shows that people are still extremely interested in single player games. You know, everyone would have you believe that the world's all about Fortnite, but it is not. The gaming world is actually much bigger than that. And most people play games that are extremely responsive, extremely simple, do not suffer any kind of lag or latency whatsoever. And guess what they are? They are casual games on their smartphones. Yeah. Mm. Right? And the, the reason people love those games is because they feel like candy. They are smooth. They are buttery smooth. Is it any accident that Apple has focused so much on improving the responsiveness of their, of their screens, on reducing the distance between your fingerprint and the pixels that get displayed? It's because it feels great. If you get a rush when you use these things, it's the reason I downgraded from my iPhone 10 to an iPhone SE because it was too good. And I'm programmed almost literally from a very young age to feel extremely attuned to amazingly responsive setups. Now, take that beauty, take that interaction, take that feeling away, and you end up with something that is less responsive. That's the first consideration. Now, the, the bigger thing is, okay, so Google must have thought of this. They have people far smarter than me in just about every area of their company. They know this might well be an issue. So maybe they're, they're thinking there's a different market here. Maybe they're thinking... Uh, that people who aren't currently interested in AAA games might like to play them. And that's fine. That kind of makes sense. If you want a kind of watered, slightly watered down experience in terms of the responsiveness, then they can deliver that. And they can deliver, deliver it with great visuals because those casual players might prefer a better visual experience than they would prefer responsiveness. But it's still a problem if you can't get hold of it at all. And the entry point is too high. So my feeling on all of this is the only way this is going to work out, because remember, PlayStation faced this problem with PS Now. The reason it was delayed for quite some time was because, that, because PlayStation has a very broad reach across the world. Not, not like uh, a lot of American companies that focus very much so on the English-speaking countries, especially when it comes to games. PlayStation had a very strong presence in Europe. So to them, it's important to deliver a good experience or at least an acceptable experience across Europe. That took time. And in some places, you simply can't get the experience, even though the minimum requirement is five megabits per second. 
You know, people are getting five megabits per second even today in some parts of Europe, never mind some other parts of the world. So the only way I see around this is the widespread adoption of 5G. You Mm. don't have to worry about cables. You don't have to worry about um, fiber to the home. You don't have to worry about any of that. Suddenly you have an infrastructure that can be deployed in weeks or months instead of years. And providing people are interested in a whole bunch of services that will be delivered over 5G, then even the initial high cost of 5G will be worth it. And I think Google see this coming. I would not be surprised. And this is probably the reason they did it. These two things are going hand in hand perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that synergy. I did want to add one point to the 4K60 argument because I get I get it, but I think ultimately it's not important. Um, I, I think that the majority of situations in which Stadia will be used, 4K60 is not important, right? It's either going to be used on smaller devices, right? Tablets and phones. So 4K is not important. Um, mm. And also as well, like I think, let's let's think about the typical customer for a product like this. Um, this this customer is most most likely already not in a gaming ecosystem, right? Most likely, so therefore doesn't already feel it's worth it enough for them to own the hardware that will do mm. it. Um, mm. And or also, right? Like they might just be less attuned to caring, like the people that that will super care about wanting to have their games in 4K HDR at 60 frames per second will just will just buy the disc right that that's my feeling on that that leads me to my next question quite nicely so i've been wondering who is exactly stadia designed for like are we looking at google's google's attempt at sort of uh, appending the console and pc industry and sort of showing everybody you don't need a console anymore, you can just play high-end games via the streaming service, or are they trying to bring the appeal of these deeper experiences to the masses? So the message would be, you can play games like Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty and these serious games without having to buy a console or without having to assemble a PC. Or, again, are they trying to convince casual gamers that it is possible now to play these games on a smartphone or a tablet without having to download them from the App Store? Or, fourth option, um, is, this just this, uh, is this just a play to um, have people use YouTube more? Because all these YouTube integrations, um, some of them feel like gimmicks to me. Uh, I realize why Google is doing them. And I realize that I'm also from a different generation at this point. But the idea of, well, you're, you're watching somebody stream their game and suddenly you can jump in and play alongside them. Or you're watching a video on YouTube and you can just request to play that exact moment yourself via Stadia. So I understand why they're doing this. It is technically impressive, but part of me wonders... Is this just a fancier way to get people to spend more time on YouTube than it actually is a game streaming service that wants to revolutionize the gaming industry? And I don't, I haven't been able to come up with a good answer myself, prob- probably because we haven't seen much of Stadia. I think the YouTube point is yes, but both ways. I think that it's 
people are already spending more than enough time on YouTube anyway. I don't know if they necessarily need more time, but they, they do need to assert themselves as the place for gaming. Um, Not because Twitch, basically. Twitch has, like, in the mind of the gaming community, Twitch occupies that space. And Google being able to have a product like this available will move the minds of lots of people towards YouTube. It will assert YouTube with more dominance or more chance for dominance. I think it's... it's. I, but basically as well, I think it's like they're, they're also when developing this product, we're like, well, we have YouTube as well, right? Like it feels like that these two things kind of like they meet in the middle on their goals. Um, but like I, I, there is a, a another market of person that you didn't mention that I think is important for this, which is the average gamer who wants to be able to play Call of Duty on their iPad or on their iPhone when they're not at home, right? So Mm -hmm. like you can sell this product to hardcore gamers by giving them the opportunity to be able to take their games with them, which is why the Switch did so well in the first place. Right, like that. This idea of taking the games with you, people like that idea, and and being able to have that, like, and capture that is like another. I think is another interesting part of the market. But I think really, like, what the who, the who is this for? Which is how you started the question. Was like, I I think it is. I think Google are just trying to take a big slice out of like the top end of one and the bottom end of another. So the top end of people that want to play games but don't have consoles available to them or don't have the most uh, like highest power console available, right? So you can capture that market. And also you can capture the market of like people that love to play games and want to have the most up-to-date thing and they really care about it, but for whatever reason they don't have enough access to be able to get all of the games that they want. I think it's just like trying to take a slice out of the middle because this doesn't feel like the thing that's going to necessarily upend the entire console industry overnight. I don't think it's going to do that. I think it will take a big chip out of it and could potentially over time change the conversation, but this is not going to change everything overnight for people that currently care about their consoles. And I don't think that the most recent Red Dead Redemption is like the game that the average game player is crying out for, right? Like, I, 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 that game is being sold to everybody that cares about video games. The same market that's buying games on the iPhone is not like really upset that they can't get the latest PlayStation exclusive, right? Like, I don't think those two things match up. So I don't think Google can really win at either of those ends. They kind of have to capture this slice in the middle. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I do wonder, though, if we may be looking at a sort of a, as a precedent for if it is possible to have a, a game streaming service that delivers that kind of performance and that is intuitive and easy enough and cheap enough and you can play that at home or you can play that on mm. a phone will other companies be inspired by this? So is the idea behind Stadia perhaps the future of console gaming? Or do we still think, no, there's going to be offline downloads and discs and it's going to stay the same uh, for a long time because the video game industry, you know, you can say a lot of things about it, but it is resilient in a way that other (laughs) industries maybe aren't. Yes. Uh, You know, uh, for example, look at music. And uh, sort of the, the sales numbers for CDs and vinyls. Now, some of them are back in fashion, but for 
hipstery reasons, uh, but basically everything has moved to digital and streaming. And on, in the video game industry, we still have, you know, we're still buying cartridges for certain consoles and we're still buying discs. So I do wonder if maybe not necessarily Stadia, but if maybe, you know, I mean, Microsoft is working on one. PlayStation already has one, even though it doesn't appear to be super popular or super, you know, performant in that sense. But is this the future as a concept or not? Distribution has always got easier. Yes. Distribution is always inclined towards less resistance. If this means that there will be less resistance to people playing video games, because they're free to choose a device on which they play video games, irrespective of the loss of technological benefit. People will opt for it, especially if it's priced sensibly. In reference to your earlier point, I mean, you mentioned YouTube. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if Google weren't using YouTube as the technology to stream the video aspect of games straight to the user anyway. Yes. So the output from, from YouTube it's probably the output for Stadia, right? I mean, it makes complete sense. It's the underlying it's, technology, without yeah, a doubt. But the difficulty is in the transcoding, because, of course, with YouTube, what you have is a stored media file, and you're just transmitting that already transcoded media file. But the delivery mechanism is likely to be very similar, even if the decoding is slightly different, because the encoding is being done in real time. But here's a Here's a smart thing about it, of course. The game's running on their servers, which means that it's being rendered on their servers, which gives them huge benefits in terms of uh, quality. But, you know, I, I, I am intrigued about what kind of customer this is going to appeal to. I, I would say in the long run, it is where the industry is going. What mm -hmm. we're talking about is like a transition phase, Yeah. It's, it's got to be it's got to be a transition and that's why it's interesting because we don't know how long this phase will last is it going to be a year is it going to be five years who knows we kind of had the same sort of discussion as around vr and my guess there was right at the beginning three generations before it even starts to get interesting and i think the same is true here but you're gonna you're gonna need 5g right yeah well, you're gonna i need also think you the, the unbundling of the relationships right so like well, that's the hardest part. That's what I the mean. Technology like, this is, is great. The easy part. This is great and everything, <laughs> but like Sony and Microsoft are not gonna like be taken off into the good night like quietly, right? They have the relationships with the publishers. They even publish a lot of the most important games, right? And the Nintendo as well. So that all of that has to be unbundled before Google can make an actual real good play at this. So then it's like, okay, well then what if everybody does it and everybody tries to do it well? And then let's let's imagine that Google's is the best, Microsoft comes next, and Sony's like third, and Nintendo, like, I don't know, they're still mailing discs to your house or whatever. That's <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo's method of streaming games is they just bring somebody over to your home with one. Uh that I, I just think that it's it's the technology has to be perfect for everyone for it to actually take take off and I don't know if it's going to going to be that but there was here's one here's one little thought that I had about the potential for this to take off let's imagine grand theft auto 6 right and let's just say that gta 6 is available on stadia right and what is going to so when on when midnight hits 
what's going to be the quickest way to play Grand Theft Auto? Mm. Well, obviously, Mike, it's going to be to have um, pre-ordered it digitally, mm. um, to have the servers crash, uh, <laughs> to wait for the download, which to will take the day one about tw- exactly. Then the day one patch, which is another twenty gigabytes. By which time, all of your mates who have subscribed to Google Stadia will have been playing it for the last twenty-four hours. Yep. So, hey, Google, you can take this for a fee from me. I was going to give it to you for free, but I'm not going to anymore. Play it first, play it fast, right? Like that's that's the key. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the key. That's what you, you heard have. it on remaster first. Because that's that's the thing, right? Like when midnight strikes, it does. If you downloaded it from the PlayStation Store, well, you're still going to have to install it. And that's going to yep. take you an hour. Yeah. Right? Like it, it doesn't, but Google's not going to have to have that problem. They're going to have the game ready to go. And I think stuff like that will slowly chip away if it's going to be successful. Uh, Federico, did you have any more um, talking points that you wanted to, to hit with Stadia? Just uh, one thing, because of course, you know, I have to mention this. Now you got to be on brand. I have to be on brand. What it means for game preservation? This is a topic that I always bring up because there's a you know the that part of me that always wants to make sure that we can have a public record and a public archive of all kinds of human creations. And of course, as we've seen uh, in recent years, and we talked about this before with the App Store and with the WiiWare for Nintendo, um, with the PSP, with the PS Vita, the idea of we have all these games and then eventually either servers get shut down or online stores disappear and suddenly those games become unplayable and it's like they never existed. Um, and so this issue gets only uh, gets worse when you take into account the fact that in the future you may never have to download the file yourself. So you will not have a zip file or an ISO file or something that represents that game that you can share, even though it's illegal, uh, but you can share with other people. You know, the Internet Archive is based on this very principle. They have entire copies of old software for, you know, Macintosh computers from the 80s. And that's why you can play those games in a browser today. Um, but if in the future all you're going to do is just stream video to play a game effectively, what are you going to do in terms of preservation? And uh, I follow on Twitter, um, and I'm a big fan of his work, uh, Frank Sifaldi is the founder of the Video Game History Foundation. They do a fantastic job, uh, not only archiving old video games and finding uh, old and unreleased games sometimes and sort of unearthing code hidden in old video games, uh, but they also preserve uh, the culture surrounding video games. So magazines, old um, websites and old reviews, all kinds of stuff. And of course, Sifaldi is also one of the developers at Digital Eclipse who is a company that specializes in, um, I wouldn't call them remasters or remakes, they are the most faithful adaptations of old games that you can find on modern consoles. They did, for example, the Mega Man Legacy Collection, and they did the uh, anniversary package for the, uh, I think, 40th anniversary of SNK. So those, those collections of video games are amazing. But he shared a thought a while back that uh, I think on Twitter I wasn't able to find it, but it's something that I saw in my timeline. The idea that even though the future may move to streaming and to effectively just play with the video, um, 
we should try everything possible to record and document uh, and create footage or archive our thoughts and reviews and first impressions, everything that we can find surrounding those games, even though they may be undownloadable because you're just streaming video. Uh, I think, I truly believe, and Sifaldi and other people like, like me, I guess, I truly believe in the idea of it's important to preserve these little bits of human culture and creativity and history, and that's going to become more difficult if we move to subscription services where you lose access to games or to streaming services where you never have the games in the first place, but there's still things we can do to make sure that we preserve and we create a record uh, for those games. I don't think it's as bleak as that. For the Why? for the for the stadia stuff, I understand your fear, and I completely and utterly sympathise. My oldest games cannot be found, except for the help of all those amazing people out there who've preserved some of my old stuff. God knows why they're doing it. My game, my old games aren't worth preserving, but it's nice to sometimes go back and say, "See, there is a place on the internet where my history is still alive." Right. right. It's it's really nice. So I understand, completely sympathize. And in this digital world, I worry about the ephemera so much that I keep a paper journal. And no thanks to Mike Hurley, who influenced me, thanks to his other podcasts to buy various fountain pens and papers and so on, turn me into mm -hmm. a geek. Right. So cross promotion. I thought that's what it was all about. That's good. That was very good. The pen addict on Relay FM. I am assuming that the <laughs> Venn diagram is incredibly small. It's incredibly small. Probably just one person, me. Um, so, <laughs> so these uh, Google Stadia um, cloud servers are going to have development hardware equivalents because people aren't going to develop these things entirely in the cloud. They're going to develop them locally mm. and they're going to run them locally and they're going to have stuff that allows them to test this stuff locally. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to preserve a final image somewhere. They're going to keep the hardware lying around. However, yeah. this stuff is harder to keep hold of than images, than ISO images. You're absolutely right to call that out. So it would be really good if companies like Google could do the decent thing and ensure that good archives are, are kept of the final images of these games. Yeah, I actually believe Google would probably do a decent job at that, you know. You'd think, right? Yeah. But they'd also have to preserve the hardware. Because that's the thing, you know, that hardware gets um, changed as well. My bigger problem with this, and this is a very niche problem, I think. It's a much smaller problem than the one you're describing, Federico, is that there no longer exists the idea of a canonical game. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. The version that I played, they say day 30 of a game that everybody loves, will be completely different by day 300. Yeah, and this is, this is the same problem, kind of similar problem to, for example, how these days you can have the Xbox exclusive add-on or DLC, and then you have the PlayStation exclusive, and then you have you have the EA Origin Access exclusive. So, what is the canonical version of a game? Because and then you have the Nintendo Switch pack, exactly. which includes all the DLC that was previously exclusive to separate platforms, but now it's all in one place. And then yeah. does that make it more canonical than the first one? All right, yeah. and and then it's like, what does Golden Master mean anymore? It doesn't mean anything. Where it like hasn't before meant anything the for internet, a long time, right? it meant something very important. That yeah. was the final yeah. version of the game, unless they reprinted it and changed something. And that's the thing. We have that in books. We have that in music. We have that in, in movies. The thing that makes games different is that every player's experience is different. However, the experience is still relatable on a number of levels. And if you've got the game living on a server, 
and patches now become incredibly easy to do. And the patches include all kinds of updates. And then you have multiple services delivering this game on which the versions are slightly different, tuned for the audience for each one. Yeah, because think about this, they're all going to have telemetry, right? And the developers, publishers are going to say, you know, tweak this for this audience, tweak that for that audience. Every audience is going to respond slightly differently. And therefore, you're going to have maybe exactly the same um, revision of the game. This is version 1.72. But the 1.72 on Google's Arcadia might be radically different from exactly the same 1.72 in every other respect on another service, because all of the variables will have been tweaked to ensure stickability for that alternative audience. That's the worrying thing. That I mean, the whole idea of canonical is bad. You know, uh, there not being a canonical video game is bad enough when you have all these special versions and DLCs. But it comes even worse in a world where telemetry allows developers to change how a game com- feels completely in real time. So the game that you're experiencing might be completely different to the exact same game on a different platform, and different again to the experience at a different time. So you might come back to the game two months later and suddenly, oh, I don't like this at all. They've just messed with your memory. They've rewritten your memory. It's like, you know, going to a place where you were born, right? And several of the buildings have changed. If someone's basically tampered with your memory, that's how it feels. It's a violation. All right, today's episode is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. We can probably all hold our hands up and admit that cybercrime is something that we think happens to other people because who wants your data, right? Well, the bad news is stealing data from people like you and me using public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest ways for hackers to make money and to get access to the information you don't want them to have because it belongs to you. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, your password and credit card numbers could be vulnerable. But there is something you can do to protect yourself from some cyber criminals and that is to start using ExpressVPN because it works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, and hiding your public IP address. With easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device, you can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just a click. Then you're free to safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. I am going to be traveling this week, connected to hotel Wi-Fi. This is when I turn on ExpressVPN when I leave home, and then I'm good, and I know I'm going to be great for my entire trip. About that, With that peace of mind, I have it right there, and I don't even notice because the connection stays rock solid for me the whole time. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. If you use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN, so go to expressvpn.com remaster to learn more right now. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash remaster that is expressvpn.com slash remaster for those three months free with a one-year package our thanks to expressvpn for their support of this show and relay fm so i think this this service has less uh heavy implications for the future of video games um, but this is Apple well, Arcade. Well, no, I, th- I, I look. This isn't. This is an important thing. But I don't. All right. Well, let me explain it first, okay, so we can talk okay. about that, huh? During Apple's March services focused event, they uh, Apple announced their Apple Arcade, which is a subscription service for games. It'll feature over 100 titles uh, playable on iOS, tvOS, and macOS. You pay one currently unannounced fee and have access to download these titles to your device from a new tab in the App Store. They can be played on or offline. 
and feature no in-app purchases as well. Um, Apple does appear to be acting as a publisher in some instances and or just giving financial backing to companies to help them produce these games. Um, and they are all exclusive, kind of. Um, all of the games in Apple Arcade will not be available on any other mobile platform or in any other subscription service. Like there are some games, there's a game called Overland, which is going to be in Apple Arcade, which is actually coming out on PC and Switch, but it won't be in any like subscription service and it won't be on Android. I mean, that's what Apple's trying to fight against really here. Apple, I don't think, are trying to necessarily compete with Microsoft or Sony, but they are competing with Android. Um, Apple have signed on an impressive roster of developers. Just their website features developers you know, of games that we have spoken about many times on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be launching in the fall, probably of iOS 13, uh, in 150 countries. Um, so here's a thought that I've been, I've been talking about this in some of my more tech-focused shows, and this is a feeling that I get. I feel like... Well, okay, for a long time, lots of people, including us, have said Apple doesn't get gaming, right? They have shown time and time again that gaming kind of just happened to them. They became the like largest kind of install base for gaming in the world, which they are right now because they have the most handsets of any company. Um, so they and they has lots of games. <laughs> You know, they they say it, and I and I'm inclined to believe that more people play games on iOS than any other gaming platform. But this feels to have happened to them pretty much by accident. Um, it was just in enterprising game developers who took advantage of the development platform, and then it just everything kind of just snowballed from there. But I think that Apple Arcade, for a number of reasons, is Apple finally showing that they understand gaming. And I want to see if you guys agree mm. with me. I think uh, until we've seen the games, I'm going to say that Apple understands the impact of gaming or the potential of exclusives. I don't know if they get gaming as a, as a cultural form or as an art form until we've seen the games or until mm-hmm. we've spoken to developers. We I don't think know at least what... on paper, if you just look at, you know, and again, I know you don't disagree paper, with me, yes. but when you look at the companies that they have signed up, at least, yeah. it's like this is showing a kind of a discerned taste Yes, great taste, absolutely. I mean, the names that they have on on the website, it shows that they can have a range of different types, not just the, you know, the artsy indie game that is super refined and exclusive, but also Sonic Racing, for example. tells an emotional story. Yeah, like they're not all about that. They are Sonics here. (laughs) They have that, but they also have other things. You know, they have RPGs and puzzles and, you know, uh, more uh, sort of adult type of games, like more, like more, uh, grown-up themes, if you will, like dealing with depression and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I think something has changed um editorially speaking and in the in terms of Apple sort of understands now that gaming is not just wasting time, you know, playing Clash Royale or buying gems or coins or whatever. They understand how you know, you look at things like for example, uh Marshmallow the DJ and you know hosting a concert in Fortnite. <laughs> like that's that that type of mashup of culture and music and gaming. It's what we've become 
as a mm-hmm. society now. And so I think Apple sort of trying to get ahead of this and saying, we want iOS to be a place where you can pay a fee, it's a, it's a subscription, and you get custom access to quality video games that do not interrupt you with ads, uh, do not interrupt you with in-app purchases. Um, I think it's very smart. And I think you are right on paper that Apple gets gaming now. And it, I think it's especially clever that they're making this simple for users. Like you pay once, it launches in 150 countries, and that's it. You open the app store, you go to arcade, you choose what you want to play, and that's it. Um, I would I would be very, very curious to know what the behind-the-scenes talk is like between developers and what's the you know the team inside of Apple approaching and dealing with these developers because Apple is effectively now acting as a publisher for you know they are paying money to help these developers that to me sounds like a publisher so um i think on paper apple now gets gaming because of many reasons and many things that have changed but of course the proof will be in the final and actual service and in the games um i want to see the games Shahid, what do you think about my statement? Apple only does software to sell devices. Apple is first and foremost a hardware company. That's its DNA. However, it has shifted to more of a services company. And they see, I would imagine, the provision of media as a service. And it's an area they've been active in primarily with music and movies and all of the Apple TV stuff they've been announcing recently. And with games, they've kind of... I hear what you're saying, that Apple doesn't get games, but I think that's just a bit of tone deafness as a corporation. It's very Mm -hmm. easy for a corporation to come across as tone deaf while being full of people who love games. Yeah, well, at least they didn't have... I believe that there are, of course, are people that understand gaming within Apple, but they didn't have a seat high enough at the table to be able That's to correct. push it as a corporate ideal. That's where I correct. feel like something's changed. And what it probably was, was somebody inside of Apple saying, well, we want another streaming service. What about games? And they went to whoever runs games at Apple, and then they kind of moved on from there, right? Like, they had a they had an individual on the stage, uh, Anne Mai Tai, and she, she said something that I really liked, which was, uh, you can't compete with free, which was I thought was just a really nice way to kind of describe the struggles. But she seems to be pretty important in that team. Maybe she's leading it, or at least she's high, high enough in the App Store, of which is important. But whoever it is that's spearheading this, I think it was because they were given the agency within Apple to be able to do it where maybe they hadn't been in the past. I hear what you're saying, and I agree very broadly with what you're saying. But I actually think there was a bigger imperative play here, and I think it marks one of the shifts within Apple as an organization. One of the things you didn't expect of Apple, say, a decade or so ago, was it describing itself as an ethical company or as one committed to... Um, diversity, or one committed to the environment. And all of these things have become more and more pressing as the company becomes larger and larger. So you turn into a trillion-dollar company. Suddenly, your problems are much, much bigger. And they see things on the horizon that could affect their PR. And anything, anything that affects their PR is going to affect their share price, is going to affect 
absolutely everything top to bottom within the organization. And one of the ethical concerns that I believe Apple share with a lot of other people for whom this is a pressing concern is that of the impact of the increasingly savage free-to-play mechanism that creates an incredible stratification in the App Store. It must have been so frustrating to be working within Apple, loving games, but knowing that these free-to-play monsters that were like, well, they were extremely addictive to people they shouldn't really have been addictive to. There are many stories about this, as as you're well aware, more than most. I've heard the f- a phrase that I like recently because it's so in your face. Uh, the games like this are called kiddie gambling. Right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the recent neuroscience over the last 10 years or so suggests very clearly that the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed um, in 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 people until they're 25 years old. So there is this window between legal age of gambling. Uh, I'm not calling it gambling, by the way. I'm just referring to the tendency to gamble. So between the ages of 18, when it's legal to gamble in most places, and the ages of 25, you have seven years when people have started earning money, right? But they haven't developed sufficient control to temper their impulsiveness. And this is why insurers charge so much more to young drivers, especially young male drivers, because, of course, they they are even more susceptible because they have huge upswings in testosterone in this period, too. So they're even more susceptible to be controlled by their impulses. Now, people at Apple will have been looking at this science, will have been looking at the reports around free-to-play. Some of the senior game people will have been saying year in, year out, look, these games, yeah, they make us money. Yeah, they sell devices. Yeah, they're popular, but is this what we're about? And of course, not everyone would listen to that. They'd say, well, look, you know, they're legal. They seem to be okay. Uh, People seem to be enjoying them. Nobody has really got hurt because of this, and so on. But eventually, it would have reached the top. And Tim Cook strikes me as the kind of guy who takes immense pride in two things at the moment. Their commitment to ecological awareness and their commitment to social responsibility, including concerns like privacy, including, belatedly, concerns like diversity, You know, which for me, as I've mentioned before, I think are a generational issue. They take a generation to change. You cannot just employ a whole bunch of people from diverse com- communities and expect that to change things, because you might not necessarily get the very best people because you haven't developed the filters to see in the right places yet. Right, So you'll make bad decisions, they'll make bad decisions, it'll look bad. It'll take a generation to fix that. But it doesn't take a generation to fix something for which the neuroscience is very clear, and there are very obvious pre-existing solutions to fixing that. And that solution is the oldest trick in the book, and it's called curation. And they have some of the best curators out there. If you look at their recommendations... Certainly in the UK store, Federico, you, you've got much better grasp of this than me worldwide. But their curation is repeatedly excellent, yeah. especially in, in the paid-for game section, right? The curation is superb. I know one of the editors, and I tell you what, he knows way more about video games than I, I ever will. And his taste is utterly impeccable. And his understanding of who is a good developer, who is coming up... Um, Yeah, it's second to none. They have great people, 
But as you say, Mike, they were not given enough importance. I think because of the pressing ethical concerns, because of the mounting weight of evidence with the neuroscience, because of this continuous feed and stratification of free-to-play games that are obviously not high quality, that obviously don't place Apple in a favorable light in terms of respectability in the gaming community, certainly not the core gaming community, certainly not amongst the cool kids, if not the mass market. I think they felt a sense of social responsibility and ethical duty to promote the arts in games as strongly as they've done in other fields. Now, don't get me wrong, they can come across tone deaf. Like, you know, some of their music announcements come across tone deaf, right? They're, they're pushing of the U2 album was a classic mm-hmm. example of that. But it doesn't matter. They're trying. You can sense that they're trying. So they say, look, music is really important to us. They can't feel it like Steve Jobs did. But they know it's important. And they live by it. They, it's like they've been handed this, this guidebook by Steve Jobs, as they don't completely understand. They do not have his spirit, but they are trying to live by it. And they're trying to ensure that this is the kind of thing that Steve Jobs would have been proud of. And I think that is a primary driver behind their push into this service. It's saying, these games are important to us. And damn it, we're going to put some money into these games. We're going to put some money into these developers. They're going to be really, really great. They're going to be on our devices and they're going to have their own tab they can have their own space. It'll be a selected amount. We're not going to flood you with stuff. It's about 100 games. We'll revolve the library. You will love these games. And guess what? Developers are free to make the thing that they really want without concern about monetizing those games because Apple have already paid for those games. They paid the developer. The customer has already paid for the games. They've paid the subscription service. Now they can just enjoy the experience. And I think it's a fantastic move. Well, that... I want to touch on one thing, though, which, whilst I agree with most of what you said, the idea of, like, Apple kind of trying to, at least publicly, absolve themselves of the in-app purchase game problem, does that hold water if they still wouldn't allow these games on the platform anyway? Yeah, I think because it's not their problem to solve. Well, I think it it, it, it is their store. It is their store. They don't allow gambling game like you cannot make a gambling game like something that's considered straight up gambling on the app store like that's actually a thing that can't exist there are a ton of gray lines as to what gambling actually is and what they allow because like for example you can have betting apps which is like it's very confusing to me i don't really understand where the line of gambling is drawn with with apple but um the 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 one something it's like well they could they could for example add in a new uh, app review guideline that says you can't have timers in games you just can't have them anymore they could do that right so like the idea of like oh you have to wait for an hour or you give us money like they could outlaw that practice if they wanted to they could outlaw a lot of their practices without completely kneecapping uh, the game developers the the problem with that Mike is that it's not Apple's responsibility to do that. I think that is a regulatory responsibility that the entire industry needs to sit down and discuss very carefully and proceed very carefully. Because here's the thing, Mike, I am quite happy. I don't do it often, but I'm quite happy to get something like an idle clicker. You know, I'm a big fan of these things, right? And to spend a bit of money on them because I'm responsible and I don't consider it gambling. The way I look at it is is that it's going to save me this amount of time. I'm going to play this game anyway. 
I'm not prepared to wait that long. I'm not going to sit here and grind like a child. The option exists to do that, right? But I'm not going to exercise that option. I'm actually going to exercise my right to purchase. So it is about finding some common ground with a whole bunch of people in the industry who offer this kind of content and to gradually, bit by bit, find out where the science is leading us, where the problems are happening, and how we can control them. They have made steps towards this. Small steps, admittedly, but they have made small steps towards this for many years now of making the thing a bit more responsible, of outlawing the most heinous practices, of pulling things that do things that are obviously egregiously against um, not necessarily the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. I think they will get there. But, it, but what they need first is a counterweight. I would be very surprised if there hadn't been conversations amongst the the senior management team. Where they said, well, let, let's put something up and see what happens. The first step was to separate the free um, the free games from the paid games. That was a great move. You know, I don't ever have to look at a free game if I don't want to. It's very easy for me to avoid those, but I do because I actually like some of those games. So, what are you going to say? You're going to say people who are under twenty five are not allowed to buy these games? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, Mike. But I do know that when you're dealing with something that is both guided by science and is kind of tempered by evolution, because we haven't evolved quickly enough in order to understand how this technology affects us. We're still learning about all of the consequences. You know, one of the things we've got to be really concerned about, for example, is just the growing use and dependence on smartphones by really young people. I'm talking about um, preteens and young teenagers and what it's doing for their mental health. And you can bet there are people within Apple looking at this and wondering how they can do it. After all, look at screen time, right? I mean, do you know of any other organization of, of comparable size or even a fraction of that size on the face of the planet that would deliberately launch a feature to restrict the use of their single biggest moneymaker. Google did it. Like Google did it yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So well done, Google. So there are two huge companies doing this now. Facebook's got to do it. Um, other companies got it. Good luck with Facebook, I guess. Other companies got to do it as well. It's a huge societal problem. It's not something Apple can solve on their own. Mm -hmm. But I do hope they will make more incremental steps towards making it a better place. I do think the whole App Store experience is a lot better, a lot less... Um, crappier um, and pushy than it used to be. Oh, it's way better now. Yeah, I'm now buying way more paid-for games on on my iPhone than I used to. <laughs> Maybe it's just <laughs> pushy in a different way then. <laughs> it's pushing you through different <laughs> funnels. Uh, we've gotten off into the weeds in this one a little bit. Um, Federico is someone who's probably paid a little bit more attention to this, mm -hmm. just as covering uh, this for Mac stories. Did you have any other kind of areas that you wanted to touch on about Apple Arcade? I guess I'm interested to see how um, the discussion around paying developers will play out. Um, yep. Sort of the model that Apple will use to um, how will will you split revenue between developers uh, according to time played or and how long is it going to take for us to actually find that information out? Exactly, and yeah. like, how will they be able to balance? Uh, for example, I may, you know, uh, download a game for uh, three dollars from the App Store, 
and play that game for four hours or even just an hour, like Florence, the excellent Florence could be an example. Um, and if a game like Florence uh, is released on Apple Arcade, uh, will it make less money than it would have made uh, by you know, actually being on the App Store uh, because of the time played variable? So is time played going to be the only factor that will... Uh, the only, you know, how will developers get paid? So that kind of thing, the business aspect of that is interesting to me. And also I want to see if and how Apple will be able to diversify the themes and the types of games that will be allowed on Apple Arcade. You know, Apple has uh, historically been very uh, strict about allowing on the App Store games that talk about politics or talk about religion or talk about sensitive matters that, should be allowed on the App Store, if you ask me. But that Apple, for a variety of reasons in their guidelines, they prohibit from the App Store. And so to I don't want to be in a situation when where um, we, uh, we always get the same type of content and the same type of voice from uh, Apple Arcade. Because if there's something beautiful about the gaming industry is that you have these experiences that are created by folks all around the world and all over the globe and with different perspective and perspectives and different backgrounds. But to apply a single Apple-approved filter to that, because these games that are going to be in Apple Arcade will have to be approved by Apple, uh, it will be selected by Apple. It's not mm -hmm. like you will be able to say, um, I will release my game on Apple Arcade. No, you will have to be selected by Apple. Mm -hmm. So to have that kind of... Uh, singular voice, I don't want to be in a situation where that becomes a problem and every game in Apple Arcade talks about the same stuff and deals with topics and problems in the same ways. So variety and diversification of themes uh, from an editorial perspective, uh, that will be something interesting that I would keep an eye on for sure. All right, this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace as they will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. With the ability to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of award-winning templates and so much more, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you put your next thing online. Whether you want to make a blog, a portfolio, a site for your business, a site for an event, a site for an organizational group, or even create an online store to sell your wares, Squarespace has all of the tools and functionality you're going to need, not just to make a a website, but to make a wonderful website, a website that performs well, a website that looks fantastic. There is nothing to install or patch or upgrade with Squarespace. They have all of that covered and they back it up with 24-7 customer support. You can quickly and easily grab a unique domain name to brand your website for the world to see. And their templates are really beautiful. They're super customizable. They'll give you page structure. They'll help you understand how to build your site and make it look Fantastic. I love Squarespace. I've been using them for so many years. I have many projects I've created with Squarespace and many more projects in my future. When I want to create a website, I go to Squarespace and you should give it a try too. You can actually try it out by going to squarespace.com slash remaster. You don't need to give them any credit card information to do it. You can build your entire website and see what the platform's like and understand how you would want to publish with Squarespace. And then when you want to set it out live to the world, you sign up for one of their plans. They start at just $12 a month, but you can get 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain when you use the offer code remaster at checkout and you'll also be showing your support for this show once again that's squarespace.com slash remaster and the code remaster to get 10 percent off your first purchase so thanks to squarespace for the continued support of this show and relay fm squarespace make your next move 
make our next website. So I want to now focus a little bit on what some of this could mean uh, for customers, for developers, and and I kind of want to start with with choice, right? Like we've made reference to the fact that um, Stadia and Apple Arcade are not the only options that exist, um, but really the options that exist right now they're all very different in specific mm. ways. Um, Federico, can you give us like an overview of of what exists right now for not not for just for stores because we spoke about stores in the past, but like for give us an amount of money every month and we'll give you something in return. Mm, sure. So um, as I mentioned before, there's only one service that is a subscription and a streaming service at the same time. That would be PlayStation Now. Uh, it's the streaming service uh, made by Sony that allows you to play 750 games uh, for PlayStation 4, PS3, and PS2 on your PlayStation 4. So a vast catalog of games. 275 of those games are PlayStation 4 titles. Um, PlayStation Now allows you to stream games from Sony's servers, but you can also download them offline if you want to play the traditional way. Um, I think that's actually a pretty interesting way of doing it because you could try it, yep. right? You can try it by just streaming it, play it for an hour, and if you yep. like it, download it for the better experience. Yep. And the downloaded games um, may support um, the, you know, add-ons or DLCs or PS4 Pro-specific announcements whenever possible. Um, this service is available both on PS4 and PC, so you can play also on PC if you want. But of course, on PS4, you get to use the DualShock and all of that. Um, now, the ser- PlayStation Now is uh, $20 a month, $19.99 a month. Uh, it recently expanded to other countries, including Italy. So pricing may vary according to your country. But the problem here is that PlayStation Now is 720p, no HDR, and no surround sound. So if you have a big 4K monitor like I do, I have a big 4K 60-something-inch OLED TV with 4K, uh, playing at 720p, uh, you know, the image quality is not great. But then again... Well, look, as, as has been said on the show before, sometimes people don't realize when they're not playing Spider-Man in, in 4K HDR. Also, that's some true. People, some people, some no, people... Not naming any names. Some people... Some people didn't realize. So, you know... And also... You know, I have a big 4K TV and I have a PS4 Pro. So I'm not the type of person who would subscribe to PlayStation Now. Uh, still, this is uh, one option. And I think Shahid can confirm that it's based on the acquisition of Gaikai uh, that Sony acquired a few years ago, 20, 2015, 2012 or something 20, like that. Yeah, yep, that's right. Um, then, we, of course, we also have, in terms of you subscribe and you get games, we have PlayStation Plus, which is a different thing. It's not a, it's not a streaming service. Uh, it's the Sony's bundle for online multiplayer and exclusive offers, plus online storage. So for $9.99 a month or $60 a year, you get uh, the monthly discounts and two free PS4 games every month. Used to be also PS Vita games, but, you know, RIP PS Vita. Um, Online multiplayer, and you also get 100 gigabytes of online storage for your cloud saves or replays, that kind of stuff. Uh, So it's also an online locker, if you will, for digital, um, you know, 
saves and screenshots and videos, that type of stuff. Uh, so Sony offers two subscription subscription products, but only one of them is a proper. Uh, you play the actual all the games that you can want, and it's also a streaming service. Um, Microsoft is working, of course, on xCloud, but we've only seen, I think, one trailer or teaser video. Yeah, that was a that. demo of somebody that playing a, a game on a phone attached to a controller. It was like, yeah, but okay. the real subscription product from Microsoft right now, which is really interesting, is Xbox Game Pass. Uh, Game Pass at ten dollars a month, no, a month nine nine ninety nine. Again, um, you get a hundred. Xbox One and 360 titles that you can play on your Xbox One and Xbox One X. Um, and the big uh, feature of Game Pass that actually I think Microsoft announced le- last year is that the Xbox exclusives, so Forza, Crackdown, um, what's it called, Sea of Thieves, uh, all these exclusives, they will become available on day one when they launch, also on Game Pass. So and it's not like there will be a delay between the game that you can download from the store or buy, or buy in a physical version and the game becoming available on Game Pass. It's same day, uh, both the classic purchase and the subscription for Game Pass. Um, you can download the games from Game Pass to your console. Uh, it's not a streaming service. Um, so it's not like you subscribe and you play directly from Microsoft servers like you may do with PS Now. You subscribe, you choose the game, you add the game to your library, and then you can play as long as you pay the subscription fee. Um, This is interesting because it's something that other companies do as well. But if you then later decide to buy one of the games that you start playing on Game Pass, you get 20% off from the real from the full purchase so if you start playing crackdown 3 and then you decide you know what i actually want to buy this game and own it for myself you get 20 percent off and you get 10 percent off uh add-ons to that game um and again this is different from xbox live gold which is another product uh it allows you to play online it's not a subscription to play games necessarily uh then we have ea origin access uh, so this is a subscription product, again, by Electronic Arts, that the idea would be you can play EA games and other games from the vault on your PC. Uh, this is PC only. And you can play those full games before they launch. Um, it's a way to play new EA games first, essentially. And... You got two versions of this. There's a basic version and a premier version. Uh, I only have pricing in euros because I couldn't, the US website was not working for me. So the basic one costs 25 euros a year and the premier one works, uh, costs uh, 100 euros per year. And the premier version, the more expensive one, it lets you play the full game before it launches. The basic version lets you play 10 hours as a trial of a new game before it launches. So the idea here would be you subscribe, you can play games from the vault, but also, and there's about 100 games, I think, in the vault, but also uh, you can decide to play a full game before it launches. So it's also kind of a membership system in that sense that you get an exclusive perk in return. And finally, uh, you know, because everybody's doing subscriptions now, Nintendo is as well, of course. (laughs) Nintendo Switch Online, it's online multiplayer. Um, 
associated with the. I love that you the, included this. <laughs> of course, I have to because of a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's online multiplayer that uh, is associated with the smartphone app that you can use, that you have to use because Nintendo cannot do voice chat. They need an iPhone to that to do that. But anyway, um, you have other deals. But you also have one Nintendo, whatever you believe, is the new virtual console, which will be the NES Classics. So it's a collection of old NES games that you get access to. Again, not streaming, you need to download them. Uh, You get access to these games if you subscribe to Nintendo Switch Online. These games have been um, enhanced for the Nintendo Switch with the addition of online play and other modifications. So, for example, you can play, I think, Super Mario Bros. Um, online with a friend if you want. So, of course, the NES, the original NES games never had online playing because the internet didn't exist, but now you can download these modified versions. Uh, there's uh, 20 games and, and more. Nintendo is adding a uh, couple of games every month. Uh, they're not do... You know, everybody was asking Nintendo, why don't you do again the netflix for virtual console you p- you pay a single fee and you can play all the games from the virtual console that you may want but no nintendo is using this different approach which is uh, of course uh, cheaper because i mean the offering is not much it's uh 3.99 a month or 20 dollars a year and that about sums up all the major subscription services from all the major companies, with one of them being the mythical creature of subscription and streaming at the same time, even though performance is not great. So that's a lot of choice. It's right? a lot of money also. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Uh, and the choice isn't equal, right? Mm-hmm. Which is one of the other parts of this. is like you can't make a choice of platform and get all the same games. Because a lot of these uh, platforms are using exclusive stuff, right? So this is actually more and more like the streaming world now, where it's all originals. And this is like what I wonder with something like Stadia, it's what they're actually going to be able to get, right? Like that that's what I find interesting, because... You know, how many of the games that people actually want to play are going to already be captured up by these services and or a company service that's about to launch? Like, for example, Epic will not be on any of these platforms, will they? Because they have their own store now, which is, whilst not a streaming service, that's where they want people to get the games from. So, like, I wonder, like, what is stuff like this going to be doing for choice? Is it going to end up ultimately being harder and more expensive to get your games than it is getting them on a on a console right now Hmm. yeah there's a i feel like there's a lot of friction involved here and also like um the idea of you can start by subscribing and then you can move to the full purchase it feels like a that's a that's double dipping (laughs) is what that is It's double dipping. It also feels like a half measure of realize that maybe in the future we're going to do subscriptions, but I don't know. The fact that only some games are part of this and the fact that, um, you know, are you going to subscribe to a bunch of these? Like you're going to pay $10 for Xbox, $10 for $20 for PlayStation and $10 or maybe even more for EA. Um, 
I, I, I don't know, but it feels to me like either you go all in and you design a console around, you know, the idea of streaming, or you just say all of our games with no asterisks are going to be available on the subscription product, which is sort of what Microsoft is trying to do, but only for exclusives. And so you get this sort of weird mixed environment where some of your games you actually own, some of them you subscribe to, and then if you stop, you lose access to those games. Um, and then there's what Nintendo is doing is stupid. Um, so I wouldn't even count that. I only mentioned that for context. Um, but I, I think it, what Apple is trying to do, for example, with Arcade is a simpler message of these are different games. You will not be able to find them on the App Store. We curate them. We choose them. You subscribe. You get access to them. There's a special view in the main App Store. There's no confusion. Um, you can only find them here. So there's two different types of products. It's not this mixed solution that Sony and Microsoft are and EA to an extent are trying to do. And I think the, the, the way that Apple Arcade has been presented, to me as a consumer and as a gamer, it feels more intuitive and it feels easier. Then, of right. course, we don't have pricing. So if Apple says, well, this is going to be $30 a month, I'm like, nope, I'm not going <laughs> to give you $30 a month. But, you know, it definitely seems like a more cohesive message than these other offerings. Shahid, I want to ask you, um, what do you think these services are going to do to the long-term viability or kind of like the business model preparations at games companies from kind of small developers to big developers? Like, Do you think these are going to have positive effects, negative effects? Do you think there'll be effects just felt by some? Like, What do you think about this kind of stuff? It's probably the the hardest question about the games industry i've ever been asked um i mean i i got some ideas but i don't have any clear answers to any of this the the biggest problem you have is let's take a comparison with the music industry with the music industry you have artists who are signed by labels but you know contracts can be broken in the video games industry over the, certainly over the last few years, we've seen a lot of consolidation with most of the best studios in the world, practically in-house. Others are commissioned for very long periods. Some are totally owned by platforms. Some are owned by larger publishers who are committed to a multi-platform strategy. So, for example, if you're EA, you're going to want to make sure that a game that you release is on as many platforms as it's economically feasible to deliver. Because that's just the way your business model works. How does that stack up when the actual nature of the game could conceivably change when you're trying to deliver over a streaming service? See, because that's one of the biggest differences with music as well, and with movies. If I have access to a streaming service like Spotify, which I use, or Tidal, which I also use, whenever I get a free trial, because um, let's face it, title's not cheap, but it is pretty ace. When I use that, I know that the music quality is going to be the same or close to the same as what I'm used to from the old days of listening to CD. 
I'm not saying it's CD quality, but what I'm saying is, to all intents and purposes, the difference is small enough that I don't care. Yeah, they're, but, they're using MQA now, so there's a whole discussion to be had there with Title and MQA. But we'll talk about this privately. Uh, now, I didn't know you used Title, Shahid, and I yeah. have thoughts about that. And, and you know, <laughs> this is, that's a different kind of remastering, and this we do not have time for that today. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, I've already kind of been very elliptical in some of my other answers. So I'll, mm-hmm. let's take the Title discussion offline, yes. but definitely let's have that discussion. But yeah, I mean... In terms of quality differences, they're almost indiscernible for most listeners. With music, that's what happened. We shifted more towards convenience at the expense of quality. But that trade-off wasn't huge. With video games, the question is, at what point will the trade-off be acceptable? And my answer to that is, it is not acceptable yet. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had Google, one of the biggest companies in the world, announce a brand new revolutionary streaming service with a single game. Wouldn't have happened. You know, they've been talking to the biggest players for a very long time. And you talk earlier about Apple and how they feel about games. But Google and services is another one of those issues where you see them changing their minds about stuff, not committing. Time and time again, stuff just gets pulled. If it's not doing what they wanted to do, it will just get pulled. And it could easily happen with Stadia. I'm not saying it will, because if anyone can pull it off, Google can, because they have that infrastructure side of things. But as we alluded to earlier, the real issue here are the business relationships. The business relationships in video games are way more complex and way newer than they are in traditional media. So, I mean, in traditional media, you have very established forms of creation. You have very established forms of representation, you know, the agent model. You have the producer model. You have the production company model in movies. But these models have been in flux in video games for quite some time. What we seem to have settled on, though, is very large AAA companies predominantly being bankrolled by either an exceptionally large publisher who either owns them outright or has an exclusive arrangement with them or by a platform and more and more the platforms are stratifying so untangling is it it, it, that that's the biggest problem untangling all of these relationships and rebuilding them in a new image when platforms are still in this kind of intermediate stage when there is no dominant platform anymore is very very difficult i don't see an easy way through it but Someone will come along, a non-established player, like Spotify did, right? And they'll find a way of making this all work. Because the technology, we know this, it will get better. There will come that point at which the technologies converge and they're powerful enough to deliver the experience so that the mechanism of distribution becomes utterly irrelevant. And all of these other questions and issues we have about legacy and preservation, they'll have been solved someone will have solved those problems. It's just an issue of technology and will. And we know that the march of will and technology in the human race is basically unstoppable, right? I mean, in terms of as a customer, it's a confusing picture. Me as a customer, you know what? Uh, I'm not your typical customer, but I've probably spent more money on video games than most listeners on this show. Not just because I'm in the industry, but because I love video games but I'm probably spending less on console games than I've ever done. 
I'm spending a bit more on PC games, but I'm spending most of my money on Switch and iOS games. What does that tell you? Very simple. For me, time is precious. Convenience is precious. So the services that will succeed in the future, and I'm not just taking me as representative of every single customer, by the way. I'm, I'm using my example to illustrate the point that in every other medium, convenience has always won and always will. Technology is just one of the um, enablers of the shift. So I, I have a problem with, um, with the technology right now, but I'm an optimist. I know the technology will get better and Google are probably well-placed to deliver it. I'm less of an optimist when it comes to the business side of things, simply because business is all relationships, all intractable, all messy, and we have the wrong models right now. We have a lot of people killing themselves, working obscene hours on the one hand, a lot of politics around that. Let's not go into that. And on the other hand, you have people who are delivering labors of love that they worked on in their own time, year in, year out. And that is a completely different crowd. So actually, the type of games being made now are also diversifying. It's not just that you've got a tangled web of publishers. We still don't know what good content really is because we're still working it out. You know, if you look at a book, it has a reference form. A decent novel is what? Anywhere from about 160 to 200 plus pages. There's your form. With movies, your form is two hours. With TV, your form is 30 minutes or, or 55 minutes, whatever it is, right? So it's one of those two numbers. What is it with video games? We haven't got a clue. Nobody's got a clue. And so this, this issue of the canonical video game or the referential format for a video game it's going to continue to undergo tremendous flux. Games as a service is just a bodge name <laughs> for the fact that technology allows you to alter a game in real time. Nobody would bat an eyelid at buying or rather streaming five or six different versions of a song because they, they know they'll always have the original to go by. With video games, you don't necessarily have that. So that makes it even more complicated. I just think it's a really, really complicated business and form mess that we have to sort out. The technology is the easiest part of all. And I, I never thought I would say that. But I have total confidence in our ability to solve all of the technological problems. What I have an issue with is, what does the customer really want to play? Like, for example, you know, with the streaming services, okay? Mm -hmm. I, AAA games. Would I, if AAA games were available on Stadia, would I play them over playing them on a console? Probably, but it's not just the patches that are a problem for me. I don't like AAA games as much as I used to, not because they're not good, they're great, but because they need 40 hours of my time. I don't have 40 hours to give. I've got, I'll gladly give them my money. They'll give me a good experience. If they can guarantee if the providers of uh, video games can guarantee that I will get one hour of good entertainment and it will, and, and I can get that once a week and it would cost me 10 quid a month to subscribe to that. I'm all in. And for that reason, right now, I have to agree with Federico. Apple Arcade is the best approach. That's why, I, I, I mean, I don't know what the price will be. I reckon it'll be a tenner a month. I don't think I, it's going I'm to be much. Very more than sure that, it'll yeah? be a tenner a month. It's yeah. got to be right. That's yeah. kind of like the yeah. the figure for everyone. Yeah. I'm subscribing. I'm in. 
Just just take my money. Yep. Yeah. But you know, you listed all of those other services, Federico. There is and uh, God forgive me for saying this because I love PlayStation, as you know, uh, blue till the day I die. Um, but I, there's not a single service there I would subscribe to. The only one I'm interested in is Apple Arcade, because I know this. I know the curators at Apple are good. I know that the best iPhone games are really, really good. I know that they won't demand 40 hours of my time. I know that I will always have that device with me. You're talking about convenience? It's right there. I know that I can download that game in moments and that I will have fun with it and I'll get something out of it. I won't necessarily get the richness all the time. But you know, some of that richness that you get with AAA games, it's a bit overbearing. I don't, I, I really don't want to manicure my horse. I don't want to trudge for two hours to find some <laughs> some jewel that I've absolutely no interest in finding. Give me more meaning. Give me more feeling. Give me more connection. I don't need 4K to do that. I can get that on an iPhone screen. Get the form sorted out. Get the time sorted out. The audience for video games is potentially massive. As I've said for years and years and years, console games are niche. This whole fixation of Google to focus on targeting the AAA game um, market um, and the console market is a phantom. That market is a niche market. The mass market is a mobile game market. And that is an area that I think is ripe for exploitation. I think it's the first place where streaming could really work. And then it doesn't matter. Streaming doesn't matter on something like an iPhone. Because the size of the games is is small enough that you can download them reasonably quickly. You don't care how it's delivered. That technology is irrelevant. The whole technology discussion, I think, is a big irrelevance compared to the bigger issue. How do we take this market that is already the biggest media market in the world and multiply it 2x, 5x, 10x? I think it's possible. We just need the right games to do it. <laughs> <laughs> 